0: Climbers, we talk a lot about becoming a pro, but what does it mean to become a songwriting pro? Is it more than just getting a cut? We're going to talk about that today on The Climb, so listen up.
1: Welcome to The Climb! This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you get leverage in the music business. That's what it's going to take. track record, you're going to need to create leverage through business, through execution. It's about what you've done, not what you can do or what they think you can do. It's not about your potential. It's like, I got these cuts. I don't need a publishing deal. I've got this amount of business going, this amount of fans, this amount of records, this amount of tickets sold, and everybody's going to come to you. That's why we call it The Climb, C-L-I-M-B, Creating Leverage in the Music business right it's not just a pretty face right there it's not just a pretty (laughs) face with a with a hat a beard and a set of headphones on he's more than that he's got something going on up there in that coconut (laughs) that's my good friend and co-host mr brent baxter who came up with that baxter name brent's a hit songwriter he's got cuts by alan jackson randy travis lady a joe nichols and more had a couple uh southern gospel number ones in the last uh, 18 months, I believe. Is that right? 18 months? I don't
0: even do the math. I have no idea.
1: And uh, of course you don't. And, <laughs> <laughs> that's my that job one. as the hype man. I'm your hype man. And uh, <laughs> what I love about Brent is he helps songwriters like you turn pro by revealing how you write like a pro, do business like a pro, and then he connects you with the pros so you can create the relationships with the producers, the A&R people, the songwriters, the artists. And, and make miracles happen and take that next step. You can find Brent very easily at songwritingpro.com. Once again, that's songwritingpro.com.
0: And I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Dwinell. Johnny owns Daredevil Production. They're breaking artists digitally by identifying new fans through data. Listen, if you're an artist looking to increase your streams, blow up your video views, sell more live show tickets, and get discovered by new fans, TV, and music industry pros, then Daredevil Production can help. Daredevil has worked with multi platinum artists like Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and Andy Griggs just to name a few. You can find Johnny at DaredevilProduction.com. That is production singular, no S, and there's no S because there is no other Johnny D. Hello.
1: That's right, baby. Uh-huh. No S, 1D. There you go. <laughs> you heard?
0: Right.
1: You heard? <laughs> What's happening, man?
0: Man, just uh, I'm looking forward to getting into this. Last week, we, um, I guess my last episode, so two weeks ago, we dove into the resistance. Uh, From Stephen Pressfield's book, The War of Art. And this week, uh, I'm going to dive some more into that book. It's a great book about, okay, that's the resistance. That's the enemy. Who's the hero here? What does it mean to be pro and to turn pro? So we're going to dive into that today.
1: Love it, man. Before we do that, let's take care of a little business here. Join the Climb community. It's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the Climb community. You have to ask to be let in. We let everybody in, so don't worry about that. It's just a minor velvet rope, Mm -hmm. but uh, make sure you read the rules before you get in and know that um, we want to hear about your gigs. We want to hear about your new song. We want to hear about the wins. We want to hear about it all, and we have a place for you to put it, and guess where it's not? It's not in the feed. It's in the comment section of a few posts. It's all you got to know. Simple rules, man. We don't like a lot of them. I mean, I'm all rock and roll. We don't like rules, (laughs) structure. He's going to wing it, baby. (laughs) This is not why we got
0: into this. Yeah.
1: (laughs) But we got to keep the house clean. You know what I'm saying? That's right. So um, speaking of wins, what we got going on there?
0: Yeah. So every Wednesday we post the new heights segment because it's on brand. It's climbing new heights. There you go. you can see what we're doing here. And so we encourage you to list your uh, share some music related wins from the past week with us. And so we can celebrate with you. And it's fun watching the watching the comments in the community and, and people get know each other better and supporting each other. It's awesome. So uh, a couple wins. wins. Uh, let's see here. Steve Lombardo said got an artist hold on a song I wrote with Michael McFarland. We song titled challenged a leftover lyric from a prior write, and I just wanted to show the artist the demo. Well, it turned into an accidental pitch, and the artist took it on site. He is rearranging uh, his release schedule to cut the song and get it out by the summer. So congratulations, Steve and Michael. Heck yeah. So I want to hear more yeah. about that when it happens, when it drops. Be sure and let us know about it. But that's awesome. Song title challenge coming through again, baby.
1: I'm so stoked that they that they shared that. You know what I I mean? I am too, man. It's great. You put that extra you put that extra fifteen minutes in at the beginning, and all of a sudden you got a totally different angle, and -hmm. now it just plugs right into your lyric ability and right into your melodic ability, and it's you just take you're more competitive exactly
0: so it's working for people it's working for me it's working for them love it uh let's see our other win for the week here that we're going to share is from patrick adams he says such good wins here this week so he's giving everybody else big ups congratulations to all we had the NSAI anthem challenge salt lake city last saturday and the and the chosen song to move forward was wrong turns right written by karen fraden and myself exciting stuff so karen and patrick both climbers and their song is getting some recognition through NSAI, moving itself up the ladder there. So congratulations, uh, Patrick and, and Karen, and and also for Steve and Michael and everybody else. Just keep on climbing. And thanks for sharing this stuff with us. This is cool.
1: I love it. I love it. I love it. Make sure you sh- uh, either follow or subscribe to the podcast, depending on what platform you're on. Leave a rating and review while they still let us do it. Why? Just because it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, not for nothing, it's how Song Title Challenge came about, was a rating and review comment. That's and, right. So You never know how you can change the course of history on account of that, right? Like If, if you think <laughs> about that, just, just, just put this in perspective. I remember the last week that Leno was on The Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. and i'm not sure how long his run was what was it like 20 years or something like that uh, probably something like that he was on a long time yeah he's on a long time and the last one they had they opened up the curtains like where the the band would be or whatever they opened mm-hmm. up the curtains and it's just this like huge amount of people and these are all the people that met and got married and had babies as a result of this show in 20 years right it so it's <laughs> nice. like little kids and stuff and they're all smiling mm-hmm. it's like because of that show because they worked on that show they met fell in love had babies and all i mean it's like i don't know how many families it was a lot yeah so i figure like that one guy who made that comment whoever that guy was i don't remember even remember his name yeah. but who, who challenged us to write the song and where we came up with he's kind of he's kind of like the godfather of <laughs> the song title <laughs> challenge in a way, right? And the godfather, all those songs that are coming out now and getting right. cuts, like he's, he's, you know, he's kind of like, it's, it's, it's on account of him. You know what I mean?
0: But it's funny. Like, yeah, I'm only here on listen. account of
1: my grandma and my grandpa. You know what exactly. I mean?
0: <laughs> he, he probably doesn't even listen anymore. He probably got mad that we didn't write a song on the air like he suggested.
1: <laughs> probably, right? Isn't that funny it's how that totally works but, but Anyway, best yes. thing you do, tell a friend about it, guys. It, you know, you're spending time, you're getting value out of this. We're, we're, we're sharing something that's turning you on. That's blowing your skirt up. That's floating your boat, whatever, however, whatever metaphor you want to use, mm-hmm. share it. Tell somebody else about it. Spread the news around. That's what we want. All right. Heck yeah. And um, that's the, I mean, that's the best way you can pay, pay it forward. Right. Hmm. So what you got, bud, what you got. All right. So uh, as I mentioned
0: in the kind of intro Stephen Pressfield's book The War of Art, break through the blocks and win your inter creative battles. It's a game changer and it's done a lot of good for me and it's doing some good for some other climbers I know cuz they they mentioned it. There's so me pictures of the book cover or something like that. So I think it's pretty cool. And so last week or 2 weeks ago in my last episode we talked about the resistance, which is I definitely encourage you to go listen to that episode. It's uh episode 321, I believe. That was a good Every songwriter, you know, has this enemy, right? And breaks down kind of how the resistance works. And so this week, i want to go into the other part of the book and talk about the professional and what does a professional do and what is a professional, you know, how does a professional operate? And I think there's a kind of a a theory or, or a framework I have for this. Uh, also it's called, you know, there are two types of pros. There's the internal pro and the external pro. The external pro Has the validation and the stuff that we can see, right? They have the stuff on the wall, the golds and platinums and, you know, awards and stuff on the wall. They get the check in the mail. It's stuff that anyone can see. It's external. They're getting the validation, that sort of thing. Well, you know what? The internal pro is a pro as well. And they're the ones that have the pro work ethic, the pro mindset. You know, they operate like a pro, you know, because they've made that change internally. And we all have to go, Become an internal pro before we can become an external pro. You know, we right. got to put in external the work. Pro
1: is, was an internal pro first, exactly, and
0: continues to be right. Yeah. That's what produces the external results, and so um, that's kind of a framework I have for myself because when I talk about helping songwriters turn pro, that's that's the step, right? Is to become an internal pro to start acting, thinking, operating like like a pro, and then hopefully the external validation and stuff that, you know, checks start coming and the stuff gets hung up on the wall, that sort of thing. Um, so I just want to share, you know, some excerpts from this book and then Johnny will, you know, use his launching points to, to chat about it. And, and we'll just kind of see how, you know, how we can help folks out here. But I think this is really uh, informative. So uh, this is from pay- turning your hymnals to page 62 in the war of art paperback version. Anyway, it's called professionals and amateurs. I thought this was really cool. It says, so aspiring artists defeated by resistance, so what we talked about two weeks ago, defeated by resistance share one trait. They all think like amateurs. They have not yet turned pro. The moment an artist turns pro is as epochal as the birth of a first child. With one stroke, boom, everything changes. I can state absolutely that the term of my life can be divided into two parts, before turning pro and after To be clear, when I say professional, I don't mean doctors and lawyers like those of the professions. I mean the professional as an ideal. The professional in contrast to the amateur. Let's consider some of the differences. The amateur plays for fun. The professional plays for keeps. The amateur, the game is his avocation. To the pro, it's his vocation. The amateur plays part-time. The professional, full-time. The amateur is a weekend warrior. The professional is there seven days a week. The word amateur comes from the Latin root word meaning to love. So the conventional interpretation of this is that the amateur pursues his calling out of love while the pro simply does it for money. Not the way I see it. In my view, the amateur does not love the game enough. If he did, he would not pursue it as a sideline distinct from his real quote unquote vocation. See, the professional loves it so much that he dedicates his life to it, and he commits full time. That's what I mean when I say turning pro. Then the resistance hates it when we turn pro. So I thought that was pretty cool. Mm. Um, It made me think about, you know, like dating versus marriage. I'm dating for the love, but I got married for the, what, financial stability or whatever. It's like, no, it's like I'm an amateur. I do it for the love. It's like saying you're just dating. The real commitment comes with the marriage. That's like I'm, I'm in this. I'm turning yeah. pro at this dating you thing, right? It's yeah. not it's like, oh, we used to be in so much more love when we were dating. No. Well, no, those people in dating are so much more love. No, baby, I committed to you. I've gone pro with this. You know, we are going to say? They're just doing it for love. And what am I doing this for? You know, it's not for the extra affection as a married man.
1: <laughs> That's right. Anyway, you know what I think about? Um, it's really fascinating to see. I've gone through it myself and I've felt Mm -hmm. it and then I've seen it and it's palpable what I'm about to describe. But Mm -hmm. so when when we first got our deal, right, I mean, let's say like right out of high school – we're mm-hmm. playing a show at Milwaukee. We open up for the right band, Hurricane Alice. And Minneapolis is huge at this point. The Twin Cities are huge at this point. There's like seven clubs paying AAA money. The music scene is a real big deal up there. Mm-hmm. I think a lot had to do prints and Purple Rain had dropped and it became just sort of like a scene, you know, like a really mm-hmm. big scene. We ended up signing with this booking agency and we got to go out... Uh, on the road you know and it was like I remember when we first went out like after the after it's like 30 days where you're out straight for like 30 days you're mm-hmm. gone you're not home this isn't like a bunch of gigs that you go out and you come home to yeah it's like you're out on the road mm-hmm. and we had the band the crew 24 foot rider truck it was a tour yeah it was a cheap tour. It wasn't a big tour. There was no bus. It was it wasn't cute in the beginning, but Yeah. Um, we were on freaking tour and for the for that first month I would just be like, I can't believe that right now all I got to do <laughs> is wake up in the morning or in the afternoon right. and time to get my shit together so I can go on stage and rock once more. Yeah. You know, this is ridiculous. I can't even believe and then you just sort of like pinching yourself for the first couple of weeks, and then it settles in in the second couple of weeks. And then after that, it, this metamorphosis happens, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting with Kelly when I was partnering up with Kelly, and, and we had brought uh, Jake Bishop down, this this very gifted guitar player. We brought him down from Detroit mm-hmm. when he was 17. He graduated early from high school and skeed it down to Nashville. Yeah. You know, he was as wound up as any 17-year-old is. Just <laughs> – uh, yeah just a a major pain in the ass god bless him i love him but you know it's like every (laughs) every kid every teenager you know yeah but man we put him on the road with anthony oreo yeah that's Mm -hmm. his first tour and all of a sudden he's making real money and i remember he came back um after being out for a month and he was gonna meet up with us at one of the Clubs downtown, or something. And Kelly and I are sitting over on one side of the room. We just saw him walk in, and Kelly's like, Wow, look at that. There's a swagger. There's a palpable (laughs) swagger. It says, I'm a pro. Like now, I've not, now it's not this concept. It's not this idea. It's like, I went and I freaking did it, you know, and it doesn't matter what you got paid, but it's just like I did it for like a month straight. And and this metamorphosis happens where you're like okay I am in fact a pro and i think when it comes to like songwriting and and the ideal of this and being the internal pro i can't help but think that when you make that switch in your head after doing it for a certain amount of time it just becomes cemented in there and mm-hmm. and, and 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 another transformation can happen you know but it's yeah. it's it's palpable. Like you can tell it's, 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 it's unspoken. I don't know how to describe it, but it is, it's there. There's an energy there and it's it's internal. It comes from within, you know, like when you really finally believe in yourself, like you prove to yourself, okay, I can do this. Yeah. You know, like when you wrote your first song, right. When you had your first cut, Mm -hmm. when you, you know, you played your first gig, you know, it's like, okay, all right. Okay. All right. I survived. I can do this. Let's make it better. Let's tighten the screws. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, I like it. Um, Pressfield, he says, someone once asked Somerset Maugham, I guess, uh, if he wrote uh, on a schedule or only when inspiration struck. He goes, I write only when inspiration strikes. Unfortunately, it strikes every morning at nine o'clock sharp. That's a pro. <laughs> that's a pro. Right In terms of resistance, uh, he was saying, I despise resistance. I will not let it face me. I will sit down and I will do my work. And that's... That's what a pro does. He uh, Pressel goes on to talk about how we're all pros already. Like if you have a climber, if you have a day job, all of us are pros in one area, our jobs. We get a paycheck. We work for money. We're professionals. Now, there are principles we can take from what we're already successful at doing in, in our work a day life and apply that to our artistic aspiration. So let's take a look at this. So for those of you that are day jobbing, guess what? You're already a pro, right? One, we show up every day. We might do it only because we have to, to keep from getting fired, but we do it. We show up every day. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. Two, we show up no matter what. It's sickness and in health come hell or high water, we stagger into the factory. We might do it only so as not let down our coworkers or for other less noble reasons, but we do it. We show up basically no matter what. We show up every day and we show up even when we're not feeling like it, right? Mm -hmm. Number three, We stay on the job all day long. Our minds may wander, but our bodies remain at the wheel. We pick up the phone when it rings. We assist the customer when he seeks our help. We don't go home till the whistle blows. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we show up. We show up every day, no matter what. And we stay on the job. Number four, we're committed over the long haul. So next year, we may go to another job, another company, another country, whatever. But we'll still be working. Until we hit the lottery, we're part of the labor force. So we're in Mm -hmm. for the long haul. Number five, the stakes for us are high and real. This is about survival, like feeding our families, educating our children. It's about eating. So the stakes are high and real with our day jobs, right? Mm -hmm. Number six, we accept remuneration for our labor. We're not here for fun. We work for money. All right? That's right. I mean, I've had day jobs. Like, how's the job? I say, oh, they got to pay me to show up that's how my yeah. job is how's the job one they literally have to pay me to show up we have a deal they stop paying me i stop showing up Simple as that. <laughs> i've definitely felt that way about jobs i've had in the past um number seven we don't over identify with our jobs we may take pride in our work and we may stay late and come in on the weekends but we recognize that we are not our job description the amateur on the other hand over-identifies with his avocation, his artistic aspiration. He defines himself by it. He's He is a musician, a painter, a playwright. Resistance loves this because the resistance knows that the amateur composer will never write his symphony because he's overly invested in his success and he's terrified by its failure. The amateur takes it so seriously, it paralyzes him. Whereas a pro is like, another day, showing up, time to make the donuts, right? <laughs> Uh, So just a couple more real quick. We mastered the techniques of our jobs. We have a sense of humor about our jobs, right? Day jobs, we're all kind of making fun of it and can see the ridiculousness in it. And 10, we receive praise or blame in the real world. Okay, so now consider the, the amateur, the aspiring painter, the wannabe playwright. How does he pursue his calling? One, he doesn't show up every day. Two, he doesn't show up no matter what. Three, he doesn't stay on the job all day. He is not committed over the long haul. The stakes for him are illusory and fake, right? He he does not get money and he over identifies with his art. He does not have a sense of humor about failure. You don't hear him griping. This freaking trilogy is killing me. Instead, he just doesn't write the trilogy at all, right? Yeah. That's when you know you're pro. Man, this tour is killing me. The amateur just yeah. doesn't go on tour. They just like, well, I'm just not doing that tonight. I'm not feeling it. The pro is the one that gets to gripe about the work, right? Yeah. So, um, the amateur has not mastered the technique of his art, nor does he expose himself to judgment in the real world. If we show our song to a friend and our friend says, oh, it's wonderful, I love it. Well, that's not real world feedback. That's your friend being nice to you. Nothing is as empowering as real world validation, even if it's for failure. Like yeah. That's when you start stepping into professionalism. We hold your baby up and go, you're not my mama, but what do you think about it? You're not my friend, Mm -hmm. but what do you think about my baby, my piece of art, my song, my performance, my whatever it is? He goes on to tell the story about uh, his first professional screenwriting gig. It was on a movie called King Kong Lives. He just knew it was going to be a blockbuster. Even after he saw the finished film, he thought King Kong Lives is going to be a monster. This is going to be so great. He invited (laughs) everybody he knows to the premiere, right? And he goes from, he goes from, King Kong Lives to. Yes, go on it. <laughs> well, let's see what he says here. Um, you know, he went to the uh, see the premiere, rented out the joint next door for the post, triumph blowout. get there early. We warned our friends the place is going to be mobbed. Yeah, nobody showed up. There's only one guy in line beside our guest, and he was muttering something about spare change. Anyway, in the theater, our friends endured <laughs> the movie. When the lights came up. They fled like cockroaches into the night you're know, like the fringe didn't want to like have to tell him like that sucked dude right <laughs> <They> just scatter
1: <laughs> like the the, whimp, whimp, whimp. yeah exactly
0: so this is his first like professional gig right the next day came the review and variety uh ronald uh chassette i guess just something and Stephen pressfield we hope these are not their real names for their parents sake um when oh. the first week's grosses came out it barely even registered so anyway basically it it sucks, right? It didn't, it was a failure. He goes, I was crushed. Here I was, 42 years old, divorced, childless, having given up all normal human pursuits to pursue the dream of being a writer. Now I finally got my name on a big time Hollywood production starring Linda Hamilton. And what happens? I'm a loser, a phony. My life is worthless, and so am I. My friend Tony Koppelman uh, snapped me out of it by asking if I was going to quit. Well, hell no. Just, well, then be happy. You're where you wanted to be, aren't you? So you're taking a few blows. That's a price for being in the arena and not on the sidelines. Stop complaining and be grateful. That was when I realized I had become a pro. I had not yet had a success, but I had had a real failure.
2: That's awesome! You
1: can't, you can't, you know. It's like, look, you go up to your first um, at bat when you when you're in the show, your first uh-huh. time Major League Baseball, and you strike out. You still have to say, "I just freaking struck out!" Like I Major to the League Major League Baseball. League, baby. <laughs> That's right. Oh yeah. I mean,
0: like I remember one of those things for me was when I first moved to Nashville. I've been making some trips getting to know some people over at r p m uh music uh so thankful for Norman DeVazier over there who you know uh this, some guys from Little Rock would take me over there and so I got to know Norman a little bit. He was there at the time and and then about the time I left uh, I moved to Nashville he left to do his own thing but i I knew Tracy Jewell over there because you know once you get into a spot, make sure to meet other people in the office because people are gonna leave and You'll, then you'll know someone's at two places, right? People at two places. Yeah. So anyway, so I, I set up a meeting with Tracy and um, went in, you know, I'd, I'd send her some songs or whatever. I went in to go play her uh, some stuff. And I played her the song that I wrote with my buddy, Tim Miteson called uh, When God Made You. And so I had just hit town and she's like, oh, I know this song. I play this for Tim I'm like McGraw. It's like, yeah, he, he passed. I was like, Tim McGraw heard my song. He passed. Yeah. That's freaking to, awesome.
1: Go back to the who you played it for part again? Hold on. Wait, what was that? Yeah, say that again.
0: <laughs> you played my 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 little bitty thong for Tim McGraw. I was so pumped after that meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he passed. It was a it was a I guess you could call it a failure. So you could see it in that. But dude, I was in the game. I didn't yeah. even know my song was in the game. It was in the game. Yep. It was in the big leagues, right? He could have heard yeah. it and loved it and cut it and single it. It was in the game. That was not a failure. That was a success. Failing on a higher level than I'd ever failed before. Slow clap for me. right? (laughs) right. I I failed with more at stake. That's awesome. (laughs) And (laughs) yeah, look at that. If you want to be a pro, this like, it's, I I didn't, you know, so in a way I was a pro that day because I had a song in the game. Duking it out and getting passed on just like, Craig Wiseman probably got a song passed on that day by McGraw. And uh-huh. that's, you know, eventually, Craig would have plenty not passed on, right? By McGraw. I'd already had right. hits by him. But that day, he probably passed got passed on a song too. It was in the same bucket. Yeah. Sweet. So I think that's really important to, to look at that. And it's not, again, it's not just when the first check comes in the mail. It's not when you get something to hang on the wall. It's not when you get to quit your day job to. Turn pro as a songwriter, man, you make that switch internally before you get to make that switch externally.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know what? It's like, it's like understand and appreciate and acknowledge and celebrate the steps, right? Mm-hmm. Like the steps, like, like turning, you know, ha- having a degree of success is a dark staircase you cannot see the top you can only see the next step Mm -hmm. you know and as Martin Luther King said you just have to have faith and take the next step and so you know that when I was given that analogy about like our first tour I I mean we we were because here's here's how it happens sometimes you don't have to take one step at a time sometimes you get to bound them up two at a time yeah Mm -hmm. Because we were just trying to get into T.A. Vern's, man. That was the club that had the most amount of radio ads on the radio. So, to Mm -hmm. us, that was the coolest club because if you played that club, your name would be on the radio. Yeah. And so, why wouldn't we want to do that club? You know, like, of course, (laughs) that's what we were trying to get into. And we had tried this one time and we had failed. Because we actually got the opportunity. Our bass player's a douchebag and was like disappeared for the lost weekend with his stupid girlfriend. Yeah. And so we had to say no when we, you know, after all that work that we did to get in there. And and I am not kidding. This owner was a douchebag, the the guy that owned the club. Total <laughs> douche, right? And and so that one, that one stung. And then we got the second one. It was all supposed to work out the way it was supposed to work out because yeah. then we finally got into the second one, literally we went right from we played that club one time mm-hmm. and that was that was our our next step like we just need to play that club and get there, and then that's going to be like that's where we're going to f- contemplate what the next step's going to be. Well, we played that one gig and went right to Minneapolis after that. That's and awesome. it took us a year to come back and a whole lot of BS to get into that club because the owner was such a douche mm-hmm. just so we could play home again. Be- you know what yeah. I mean? But I mean, that was like, uh, you know, to get into that club, like, uh, and we were doing sophisticated stuff when, in terms of rock and roll, like mm-hmm. Queensrite and Judas Priest and, and, Iron Maiden and stuff that it, it, this was harder stuff. And it was like more musician, like rush, you know, more, mm-hmm. m- a little bit more sophisticated musically. And, and, um, and that's, and that's what they love, but we did it really, really, really freaking well because yeah. we rehearsed like all the time. Cause we were interested in being good. Well, that's about your face.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one of the things uh, professional talks about. A professional dedicates himself to mastering technique. The prof- professional respects his craft. Right? He does not consider himself superior to the craft. He recognizes the contributions of those who have gone before him. And he appreciate and he apprentices himself to them the professional dedicates himself to mastering technique not because he believes technique is a substitute for inspiration but because he wants to be in full possession of the or be in possession of the full arsenal of skills when inspiration does come the mm-hmm. professional is sly he knows that by toiling beside the front door of the technique he leaves room for genius to enter by the back so uh, which I love that what he said about he knows there's no substitute for inspiration, but wants to be in possession of the full arsenal of skills when inspiration does come. I mean, you hear those stories about like Tammy Wynette wrote, you know, stand by your man in 15 minutes or whatever, or yeah. you hear Tony Arata wrote the dance, like in a laundromat or something like, you know, in like 30 minutes or an hour, you know, you Is hear these true? stories. I am maybe getting them mixed up, but oh, yeah. something like that. Yes. So, but and you've said it before johnny like no it didn't take them 30 minutes to write that song it took them their whole lives plus 30 minutes right yeah and so that's the deal that's why you keep working on the craft even on the days when you're like you know that's part of the song title challenge that i do for myself is like you know i'm limited on on the ideas i can work on that day the titles because that's how i you know just chunk it out 20 titles pick one may not be a, a diamond in that you know, in that list, but I'm going to, I'm going to do my reps because that way when, man, when the idea does hit and the idea is right, I'm, I'm geared up, I'm warmed up to come off the bench and, and, uh, you know, catch that home run or, or catch that home run, uh, (laughs) catch that long bomb, hit that home run, that sort of thing. Like I'm, the machinery is up and running. That's the thing. If you wait, that's the danger of waiting for inspiration. By the time the that, that stroke hits and like, Oh my gosh, I'm so inspired. This is an amazing idea. I just got the idea for the house that built me. You're not going to write it that well because you haven't put in the work to master your technique over all those songs. When you haven't been like slayed by your idea, you've still been working and learning how to put songs together so that when that magical idea does happen to you, you know what to do with it. You've been preparing for this moment for years. And I think that's super important. It's like, yeah, that's why I, show up on days and not every song is going to be, is going to be a cut is not every song is going to be a hit, but you know what it's doing. So the professional steps away from their stuff doesn't over identify with every song and live and die by every song. Part of it is just pro knows, all right, I'm doing my reps. I'm staying warmed up. It's like the backup quarterback. Yeah. Not every song is, is in the game starting, but man, I'm warming up. I'm practicing like I'm going to be the starter this week and I'm, on the sidelines, with my gear on, strapped up, ready to go, warmed up. Because if that if the starting quarterback goes down, I can go right in. Because I don't know when it's going to be called upon. That's like when the inspiration for the the killer idea shows up, or that killer title shows up, or that amazing co write happens. Man, it's like I've had, I've been preparing for this. You know, I'm just going to go out and do what I've been doing every other day. Only this one. It's just a killer idea, but it's all right. I'm going to treat like all the others because I play like I practice.
1: Man, I, I, do you know who Glenn Duncan is? Oh, Glenn
0: Duncan. Yeah, that name's really familiar. Tell me.
1: So this Musician? is the cat. Yeah, this is the cat that played the fiddle on uh, John Denver's Country Roads. Oh, right? cool. Mm-hmm. And he's played on everything. I mean, everything thing right mm-hmm. He goes that far back right old dude super sweet guy great stories i've done countless sessions with him and literally you know because look at nashville is like this machine mm-hmm. uh the, the players know when they got to be there in time to set up get everything done settle down grab a cup of coffee mm-hmm. get ready for work they're all extremely professional so this has got this is this is in no way a, a poor reflection of the other players, but every frickin' session, I come walking into the studio, Glenn Duncan's in the booth, mm-hmm. warming up, doing scales. He's there, he's there like before everybody else, man. Yeah. Always. Before everybody else. As soon as the door opens, when one of the assistants gets there and opens the door to the studio or whatever, Glenn Duncan's in there. Yeah. And you're just like, <laughs> Like, what do wow. you mean here? Because you've
0: been here as in top of the game before anybody else that's in here. Right?
1: But he just such is so dedicated to mm-hmm. – it's like the basketball player that just never stops shooting 400 shots. Yeah. There was a great um, – I wish I, I was trying to find it on my phone, but there's a great story about Kobe Bryant – and this one dude who was like all jazz because he was going to have his first attempt to play against Kobe Bryant. It was kind of mm-hmm. like his is this NBA guy is a big hero, or whatever. And so he's like, I'm g- I'm screwing up the story. But essentially, this guy was going to go hit the court really, really freaking early before the game and get 400 shots in 400 made shots uh-huh. in. Right. And then. And then he was going to go and, and go and get ready for the game. But he, he, he was just, this was, this was, this guy's going to play against Kobe. And he says, so I, you know, I, I get my, my workout clothes on. I go out there and I hear a ball bouncing. Yeah. And it's freaking Kobe Bryant. Yeah. And, and so then I'm there and I'm doing 400 shots. So I'm there for a while. And Kobe's still there. He's still there. He's still there. And then finally I make my 400 shot. I walk off the court. I'm walking out, I'm walking out and, and, and Kobe's, you know, he's just getting off the court then. And then there's some kind of thing that they had afterwards. And he's like, man, what were you, you know, what were you doing? He's like, well, I knew you were going to be there. So I said, I had to be better than you. (laughs) I'm going to work harder (laughs) than you, you know, (laughs) and I'm Kobe Bryant. I'm freaking Kobe Bryant. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'm at the top baby, but I'm not going to let you outwork me. Like that's not going to be, I I can't deal with that. You know what I mean? That's why I'm at the top. Yeah. That's awesome. That's pro.
0: That is pro. That's great. Uh, let's see. Let's look at some others here. Um, oh, a professional accepts no excuses. Mm, here's, here's one we like. The, so the amateur uh, underestimating resistance is cunning, permits the flu to keep him from his chapters. He believes the serpent's voice in his head that says that mailing off that manuscript is more important than doing the day's work. The professional has learned better. He respects resistance. He knows if he caves in today, no matter how plausible the context, he'll be twice as likely to cave in tomorrow. The professional knows that resistance is like a telemarketer. If you so much as say hello, you're finished. The pro doesn't even pick up the phone. He stays at work. <laughs> so I like that. Just, you know what? got to awesome, do, do my work. Got to do my work. Got to do my work. I also like the professional plays it as it lays. He says, my friend Hawk and I were playing the first hole at Prestwick in Scotland. Uh the wind was howling out of the left. So I I started an eight-iron 30 yards uh to windward, but a gale caught it. I watched in dismay as the ball sailed hard right. Hit the green going Ooh. sideways and bounded off into the cabbage. Son of a <laughs> whatever. I turned to our caddy. Did you see the wind take that shot? Well, you gave that look that only Scottish cad- caddies can give. Well, you got to play it. You gotta play the wind now, don't you? <laughs> you gotta play it to the wind now, don't you? Um See, the professional conducts his business in the real world. Adversity, injustice, bad hops, and rotten calls, even good breaks and lucky bounces all comprise the ground over which the campaign must be waged. The field is level, the professional understands only in heaven. The field is level only in heaven. And we got to play the wind. Oh, but you got to know somebody. Oh, so and so got on that because they, you know, they, Colts Wendell was fraternity brothers with Luke Bryan or so and so was in so and so's band for a while or they, you know, yeah, they get in all the rooms and they just know everybody. How am I gonna, you know, get on a record when they're they're sucking up all the energy and getting on all their songs on records. I guess you gotta play the one too. We all do. Well
1: I mean not for nothing. Like back to your when you where you started with this whole thing with you're a pro because you show up to your job, you do Mm -hmm. it every day, blah, 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 blah. Half the people that are listening to this podcast right now who have that day job got that day job because of a recommendation or some sort of connection with somebody Mm -hmm. else. Yeah. Whether it's freaking McDonald's Or you're the CEO of some corporation, you know what I mean? Somebody's like, hey man, this is a good gig for you, You child." Like that's the way the world works in everything. Hello. For sure. Hello. You wouldn't be married if it wasn't for the fact that your buddy (laughs) had a sister. Exactly. I'm not sure and how God. I feel about that, Brent. Like, uh, I'm glad my sisters are young. No, I'm just kidding. No, just, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> he thought his but, sister was but, young. You know what I'm like, too. It is, dude. It's a relationship that you had that led mm-hmm. to meeting your wife that led to this beautiful yeah. marriage and children and this whole thing. Like, uh, wh- like f- that is the dumbest, 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 weakest freaking excuse ever.
0: hmm well, that's the thing. You know how many people, to my understanding, Ashley Gorley knew when he moved to Nashville. Ashley Gorley, by the way, if you don't know, has had over fifty number one hits as a country songwriter. So I'm going to say zero over fifty. That's my understanding. Is like he basically knew nobody. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what? I'm sorry. What's your excuse again? You don't. You don't know anybody. Oh, great. Yeah. Yep. Well, you know how many people I knew until I knew somebody in the business? Zero. Yep. You know, everybody knew zero people in the business until they knew somebody in the business. That's right. Just like nobody will believe in your song until if somebody finally does. You know, yeah. okay, we'll go from zero to one. That's what we got to do. Maybe that's your goal for this week is to go from zero to one. And like, I haven't ever even talked to anyone in the business. Okay, well, how can you go from zero to one this week? But the thing is that the the professional knows that like, yeah, you know, the, if you look at a you know pro ball player, they know that. Oh, we got to go play in. I don't know that what the uh, NBA playoffs are going on right now, and the Bucks know they got to go play in Chicago, and the mm-hmm. crowd's going to be
1: hostile. Mm-hmm. Do you hear oh, them? Is yeah. that an excuse? Is How about that, the Bears coming to Green Bay when I'm at a game and it's a that's night game hostile. so I'm lit up like a Christmas tree that is hostile because I'm oh my god Kelly and I went to one of those games and just Robbie Goldman tore into he's the kicker for <laughs> for Chicago. Yeah. And we're on the Chicago side and he's just practicing his kicks. And we're like, You suck, Gold. The bears <laughs> suck. Your mama must be disappointed that, you know, we're just <laughs> laying into him. And there's like five guys in a row. I know Kelly. That's all I know. But we don't care. It is the definition of hostile. Like- <laughs> <laughs> now did the did the kicker, did Robbie Gold did
0: he like go back down in the tunnel and refuse to come out and and kick if they needed
1: it. Oh, There's a couple of times no. where we came up with a couple of good ones, and so we just saw the head drop a little bit, like oh, that was like, a pretty good one. You know, you just <laughs> yeah. know he's like, God, I hate coming to Green Bay. Like <laughs> Yeah.
0: But you know what? He comes to Green Bay and he plays the wind. And he's yeah. cold. That's right. And uh, yeah, yeah, you know, he's from Chicago, so whatever. But, but, he's, but
1: getting he's getting paid. He's getting major paid. Bucks. So he he's shows kicking. up.
0: Kicker come back to the sidelines and go, Sorry, coach. It was windy. He's like, yeah, it's been yeah. windy all game. You didn't know that? I kick my kick, and it's not my fault. It's windy. Adjust to the freaking wind. Uh-huh. That's what we all got to do. But I like to write 90s-style country. That's nice. You got to play the wind. You got to play it as it lays, right? Okay, well, you know what? That's not exactly what we're doing these days. So if you want to get cuts, it's. N- you can't just go, well, I'm just going to hit it where I'd hit it as if it weren't windy. It's windy. You got to adjust and professional and a professional will adjust because we don't overly identify with our work. It's like, okay, if I only identified and I was so focused on, I am a country songwriter. Now I take, I take pride in being a country songwriter. I love that. Right. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I can hold my head up and go, I'm a country dang songwriter. I love that. But you know what? If I was so if if I was so tied to that, would I have any cuts and hits in Southern Gospel under my belt at this point? Probably not, because I'd have been too proud, too overly identified with I'm a country songwriter to walk into that room with Jason and Kenna, who are amazing at what they do and help drag my sorry butt across the finish line a couple times with some number ones in that world. Or yeah. bluegrass or whatever it is. And I remember uh, talking to Bart Butler when I first started working in the business. And I was, you know, working part time at Blue Water Music. And Bart Butler was there. And he was one of the, you know, on the creative side, like one of the song players. I remember something came up and I was kind of overhearing something. And he was like, Yeah, I write country songs, but I write anything. I'll write rap, I'll write rock, whatever. I'm a songwriter. Mm-hmm. I remember him saying that. And that just always kind of. What struck kind of song have you written? Yeah, I write anything. I'm a songwriter. Yeah, I write anything. I'm a songwriter. By the way, if that name kind of sounds vaguely familiar, he produces John Party now. Oh, yeah. And writes with John and gets cuts and hits and producing stuff. You know, okay. (laughs) And John's not the only one he's producing either. So I guess that kind of attitude works. And so I consider myself, I'm a songwriter. All right. Country? All right. Christian? You know, CCM, Southern Gospel, Bluegrass, Bluegrass. Hip hop, whatever it is, you know there's certain things I focus on because knowing the realities of the situation how how it lays and where the wind is blowing, and what my skill sets are, makes sense to write certain things more than others, but sure, I'm a songwriter, I don't overly identify with oh i I write 90s style country songs. I'm a traditional song- country songwriter. I don't write this new stuff, dude, I'm a yeah. writer, I write, and my job is to write <laughs> stuff that makes money. <laughs> you know, yeah. so therefore I can't be so precious about my little product. Like whatever I'm writing, I'm going to write it to the best of my ability. I'm going to try and write a great version of it and where it's well-crafted because also I honor the, I want to honor the craft, the technique, and take that very seriously. But when I apply that craft and technique to, I don't over-identify with it. And to me, it's fun to go, oh, yeah, this week I may be writing Bluegrass, Southern Gospel, Country, CCM. Why? Because I'm a songwriter. Yeah. So that's something to think about as well. Are you so identifying with a certain style, a certain genre that you don't let yourself step outside of that, or you're letting yourself become uh, a dinosaur? You know, you're taking yourself out of the commercial marketplace because you so identify with this one little thing that I do. That's what I love. And that's what songwriters are supposed to do that you take yourself out of the game before you are ever really in it. So I, I, take some stock of that and just make sure that you're being open enough and giving yourself enough credit. Maybe some of that comes from fear that I can't do that other stuff. I can't learn that other stuff because I'm not, I'm not 18 anymore. And so therefore I can't, maybe I can't write pop music because I'm not 18. Maybe that's fear. Maybe that's just resistance. Yeah. So anyway, those are my thoughts on that. Uh, Again, the war of art by Stephen Pressfield, Uh, Steven with a V float like a butterfly sting like a bee. My name's Steven with a V. So, <laughs> yeah. sorry, Moon Knight reference. Um, <laughs> check it out. The War of Art. It's a great one. It's a game changer. And yeah, you can go pro before you get that first cut. You probably have to go pro before you get that first cut. And so I just want to encourage sure. you to do that. Listen, if you're interested in turning pro, I, I want to help you do that. I want to help you turn pro by teaching you how to write like a pro, how to do business like a pro. And Also, I'm happy to connect you to the pros when the time is right. You can find out more about that at songwritingpro.com slash inside or songwritingpro.com slash gift. I have a gift for you called Think Like a Pro Songwriter, and that's going to help you become that internal pro uh, that gets you on your path to become an external pro. So that's just uh, you can get that at songwritingpro.com slash gift or just go to the main page. It's right there up at the top. So that's what I got for today.
1: Awesome! All right, well, that brings us to the end of another killer climb episode. Make sure you join the climb community. Make sure you follow or subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you leave a rating review. Make sure you tell a friend this podcast exists because we want you to win. So keep on climbing, and we'll see you at the top.